This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 29 for Thursday, March 2nd, 2006, Ethernet Insecurity. From his fortress of solitude, deep within <laughs> Irvine Mountain. Are there mountains in Irvine? Uh yeah, actually, they're, they're Saddleback Mountain is like the big famous oh, mountain good. range. Deep yeah. within Saddleback Mountain, <laughs> buried under 3,000 feet of granite, Steve Gibson. You don't have like this. I just imagine you in this kind of basalt bat cave. With- I'm surrounded by screens. That's about it. I've got monitors <laughs> showing bandwidth. And it's funny, too, when you have too many screens, it's hard to find your cursor. Because it's like, okay, where did this go? You know, which, which screen has the mouse cursor on? <laughs> oh, so you the screens, uh, you can move your mouse across the screens? And, and yep. Are you, what are you using for that? Synergy or what are you using? No, I, no, I mean, uh, I've got three screens on, on one, on, one on, a single, on, on a single system. But then I also have other systems monitoring other things. Like I'm, I'm keeping a track on, on the IP uh, turnaround between you and me right now. We're about 30 milliseconds round trip time for our package just so we can see, you know, What's going on? Packet loss and so forth. So I've got screen showing, you know, <laughs> bandwidth monitoring over at level three. I can see how many people are connected and what the CPU utilization is. Uh, it's you know, it's it's bizarre. You're your personal lab experiment on uh, the dangers of RF radiation and the human biology. Yes, fortunately, I don't think that'll be a problem. So. <laughs> hey, he's fit. He's healthy. <laughs> he's doing great. It's harmless. <laughs> but you have all LCD panels now by now, I'm sure. So Oh, I, oh a long time ago. And yeah. let me tell you, that really cut down on the air conditioning bill. Oh, I bet, yeah. Because, you know, those big, huge, I used to like large CRTs, and boy, did they generate heat. Yeah, and you were getting a bit of radiation in those days. You, yeah. Those, those things were bad. Especially, they fired them out back, apparently. So it was behind the machine that was bad, not in the front. Yeah, but I had I had some cats for a while, and uh, they loved to curl up on top of the CRT. It was like a heating pad. And then their hair fell out. And, uh, yes. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> so we're. Do we want to? Uh, I don't think we need to. But let's. Uh, I mean, since you answered a lot of questions last week, but is there anything we need to loop back around for last? I week? think we're all clear to start. Yeah, I mean, usually when you answer questions, you don't get more. Let's uh, talk then about Ethernet insecurity. In a way, this is part two of our conversation from uh, episode twenty-seven. Yes. Well, yeah, we, we we have several episodes we talked about earlier about WAN technology, how the Internet works, mm-hmm. how, how, how it uses a hierarchical addressing space. And, in fact, I did have somebody asking me a question that uh, basically about, you know, why Ethernet couldn't be used on a WAN. That is, if Ethernet's addressing is so cool because you just have unique addresses, why not just use it out on the whole Internet? And then you wouldn't have a problem with, you know, spoofing and NAT and all this. You're talking about well, using it, MAC addresses instead of IP addresses? That's what he was talking about. Hmm, that's an interesting and, idea. Well, because, you know, we know that MAC addresses are unique. As we know, a MAC address is a 48-bit number which is 24 bits of that is assigned uniquely to a manufacturer, and the other 24 bits is like the manufacturer's serial number so that none of its adapters ever have the same MAC address. And because a manufacturer has 24 bits of the total, and then they have their own serial number within those 24 bits, the concatenation, which is a 30, uh, uh, sorry, 48-bit um binary number is guaranteed to be unique in the world. And so he was thinking, hey, why not just use that? Well, the problem is we absolutely depend upon IP addressing being hierarchical. That is, when an IP address, for example, has 68 dot something, 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 all the routers in the world know that anything beginning with a 68 needs to kind of go in that direction to go aim those packets toward that network. So it's just like the way our, 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 our U.S. postal system works where you have like a, a, a state and then a town and a street and a number where the first thing that happens is the mail gets sent to the right state then it gets sent to the right town then it gets sent to the right street well that's a hierarchical system mac addresses are just you know a and a nick will have a you know any random 48 bit number so 
if you had that on a WAN, that is on a global network, there'd be you'd have no way of knowing from the address any idea of where that that particular um, network interface card was located. So it, it's specifically it's the hierarchical nature of IP that makes the WAN work, and whereas you know Ethernet LAN. Because it has what's called a flat addressing space, that is just a single 48-bit, you know it's on your LAN, but and you don't need to know where because the whole LAN is one big, one big network, one big sort of solid chunk of wire, and you just address a packet to 48 to this 48-bit address on the LAN, and all of the network cards hear it. And then only the one that has the matching address responds to it. So you you couldn't do this because it'd be too inefficient to do it globally. Yeah, I mean to 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 do it, every single router would have to have the complete address list of every single Ethernet adapter in the world. Mm. And the fact is, <laughs> that's not going to um, make sense at all. No, well, no, it just it just couldn't work. It I mean, scale so, well, yeah. It, 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 exactly, exactly. So you know, and and his point was, hey, you know, forty eight bits is bigger than thirty two bits. Ethernet um, addresses being forty eight, they they've got uh, like a whole lot more addresses. Whereas you know, the IP space on the internet being thirty two is is obviously a lot less. So wouldn't that give us more? Mm -hmm. And 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 so the point is, I mean, it's a really cool concept because. You know, so it's like yes, from that standpoint, that's certainly true. But it is it is exactly the fact that the internet addressing is hierarchical. That is, that the the higher bytes, the first bytes in the address, give you location. I mean, that simple fact is the only reason the internet works. It, is is that <laughs> we better that, not that change way, it then? <laughs> oh no! Is, is that th that way? Routers only. You know, it's like it's like sixty-eight dot star dot star dot star. That is anything beginning with that byte. They send in this direction. And so, since there are only two hundred and fifty-six first bytes, you know, possible you know values for the first byte, zero through two five five, and actually a lot of those, a chunk of those are not even routable. They're like you know, for example, we know that anything starting with ten is a private address. So, so a router sees if it receives something with a ten dot, it just throws it away. There's you know nowhere for it to go. Right. And so, so, so the beauty of the of the hierarchical addressing is that it tells you where to send it, whereas a MAC address is just a 48-bit number that has to be unique on the LAN, right. but, it, but nothing about it tells you where to send it. The power of hierarchy. Yeah, it's it's really a cool concept. So it's like so zip codes. You couldn't, you don't do individuals. We talked about this a little bit before, but you don't do individual zip codes for every locale. You have a hierarchy. Nine means West Coast, and, and zero means East Coast, and so forth. Well, a, a good a good an, a example of of sort of a zip codeish thing. Imagine that people's imagine that paper mail was addressed based on your social security number, mm -hmm. which is you know assigned when you get a social security number to each person who has one and but they, you know but but the number doesn't tell you anything about where they live itself it's just you know it's 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 a serial number so it, so if you tried to deliver mail based on a serial number oh. you'd have to you'd have to look them every single one up right that wouldn't work and so anyway it just wouldn't yeah. work so okay so so what's very cool about the ethernet is or about e I, yeah the Ethernet or Ethernet technology is probably uh, the proper way to say it. First of all, it was designed 33 years ago, back in 1972, by Robert Metcalf, Bob Metcalf, when he was. Um, now I don't remember where he was. was uh, he at SRI or BBN? It's, it's oh wait, you know he 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 was at um, Park at the Palo he Alto. Okay. He, he he was at Xerox Park, okay. and and they they were experimenting with locally networking computers. Mm -hmm. And so you know these are you know the computers cost a hundred thousand dollars back then, and they were all hand wired and and built with chips and things. I mean th these were real expensive machines. So the concept he had was, and it was brilliant at, back at the time, was to just put all the computers that they wanted to talk to each other on a single link on that is on a single wire essentially and you remember that the original ethernet used coax 
it had the RG, whatever it was, 57 or 70. I don't remember now what the the, the number of the coax was, but 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 it was that big. You know, yeah. it looked it looked like the the, the, the same cable. kind of st- yeah. uh, exactly the, a little the, thinner, the same, but the same thing that people's cable modems are connected right. to. Right. You know that that kind of coax because he he, he needed what's called transmission line behavior where you'd have a single run of coax and you would terminate it resistively at each end and then all the computers that wanted to be on this LAN would would basically have like a T adapter they would just like ha- have a, an electrical T connection they would run up to their card and and you would hook all these machines together. And I remember how fragile that was. I learned how fragile that was because once I disconnected my computer by, and I broke the whole ring and everybody went down by disconnect, well, yeah, the, disconnecting the wrong part of the cable. You want to keep now, it together. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and you, 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 you break that and you could end up with two segments that were unable to talk to each other. Bad. Now, there were some other local area technologies and IBM had one called Token Ring. Where, where you literally passed sort of a virtual token, which was your, your, your talking permission, around and around this ring. And so the machine that had the token was the one that was able to send data out. Mm-hmm. Bob, Bob came up with a different approach, which was substantially simpler. And as often happens, the simpler ones end up winning, although it does have some, some failure modes. It's Bob's o- Occam's Razor. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and Bob's approach, and I've mentioned, actually I mangled this acronym the first time I talked about it uh, months ago, was um, uh, Collision Sense Multiple Access with Collision Detection, <laughs> CSMA slash CD. The idea is that on the LAN, all the computers are connected to the same wire. So they listen for a time when nobody is sending data. That is, they're, they're not receiving any data from anybody else who's on this single wire. So when the wire is quiet, they will put a packet onto the wire for, that is bound for some other machine on the LAN. There's a chance, though, that two computers that were both listening for silence will, when silence occurs, both put their packets on at the same time. So you could have a collision of, of these packets. Um, what happens is that the voltages that result from two cards talking at the same time is easily sensed. So they're able to each determine that, whoops, we, we, I stomped on somebody else's transmission. So they, they back off and wait for a random amount of time and then retransmit the same packet. Well, since they're waiting for a random amount of time, the chance that they're going to collide a second time is relatively low. So basically all the NICs, the network interface cards on the LAN are listening all the time and waiting for a time to talk. So it turns out that that approach is simple enough to work really, really well. And that's what all of our LAN technology today uses. All of this, this you know, no, nobody in their homes has, has IBM's token ring or any other LAN technology that fell by the wayside. Everybody's using Ethernet because it ended up just working well enough. Now, what's interesting is it does have a failure mode when the overall t- level of traffic on the LAN starts to increase, as you might imagine, since there isn't any like formal permission giving for people to speak on this common shared wire, then what happens is the percentage of collision, the probability of collisions occurring, starts to go up as the amount of traffic on the LAN segment goes up. And so what happens is due to due, due, due to collisions being you know fatal for the data, the, the, the LAN adapters will back off a random amount of time and try again. Well, they, there might be another collision for their retry, if not among them, among other cards. So, so if you look at a curve of, of collision rate versus bandwidth for, the, for Ethernet, 
it does, as the segment gets busier, you have a higher rate of collisions and your overall throughput starts to drop. And of course, once it's, once people are having collisions and retransmitting, that in turn causes more collisions and thus more retransmission. So it sort of fails badly. It doesn't, it doesn't survive well when it really gets busy. But that's never really been a problem because most ethernets are not that heavily loaded. And, and in fact, the solution, if you do have an overly loaded Ethernet, is to use a switch. I, now, what I've been talking about, for example, is, is in, in the original Ethernet topology was a single coaxial wire that all of the NICs clamped onto. We went from that so-called so 10Base2 technology Ethernet to 10Base T which is now what virtually everyone is using, T as in twisted pair. So we, 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 we changed from literally a physical coaxial cable that would loop around the building. We, we, we switched to the, the Ethernet wires that everyone is now familiar with where you, where you click them into a hub. The first technology we had was a hub technology. And the idea was that, that anything that the hub received it would send out on all of its outputs. So basically, the way, the way 10 base T works, instead of having a single, literally a single copper wire surrounded by a shield, which is what the coaxial cable is, with 10 base T, you've got a pair of wires for transmitting and a pair of wires for receiving, a so-called twisted pair thus the the t so 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 an ethernet connection is a four wire connection even though our plugs have eight wires those those rj45 jacks are eight eight uh eight connector plugs if you look closely and, and count them you can see eight only four of them are used two of them for receiving and two of them for transmitting so so when we are using a hub everything that everyone sends into the hub over their transmission wires, the hub simply rebroadcasts brainlessly. It doesn't do any thinking about it all. It just basically all of the incoming wires are are received and everything is oared together and then sent back out. Well, naturally you can still have collisions because again, two cards could tra be transmitting at the same time. They would collide in the hub the hub would send out this garbled nothing message, and they would both go, oops, uh, because they're listening to everything that the hub is sending. They would realize their message had not gotten through, and they'd, they'd do the same back off and resend. So switching to the original 10Base T technology did not help with this, this um, Ethernet saturation and collision problem. However, what then happened was we, we, we changed to switches switch, switches instead of hubs a switch is actually an intelligent device which is the reason they're more expensive than hubs traditionally and we're beginning to see hubs going away as the price of switches are coming down just because of manufacturing efficiencies a switch actually learns the mac addresses that are on each one of its segments so in, whereas a the original older coax and a hub had like a single segment that is every nick in the LAN could he directly hear every other one in a switch it actually segments the LAN into individual pieces represented by its ports and so you can have multiple computers on a switch's port because the switch actually has a table of RAM, and if you look at the specifications for a switch, it'll say something like up to 4,096 MAC addresses it's able to memorize, meaning that in there is a, 4, 000, is a 4K table of MAC addresses, and, and it learns which adapter is on which one of its ports. What, so how when, can it be 4K? I mean, are you saying that each MAC address is it's more than a byte, isn't it? 
Well, four four K would be twelve bits. Twelve bits. Um, yeah, but but be, the idea would be that you could have four thousand computers I got it, I got it. on the switch, right? And and obviously a, a switch that's got eight ports normally only has eight computers. Yeah, four thousand so, quite a few. So, so they got a lot. <laughs> yeah. But you but you can chain switches together, so you could have a switch that's got eight ports mm-hmm. going to to eight switches that each have eight ports going to eight switches with each eight, that each have eight ports. So that switch up at the top, it would. It would have to know the MAC address of all the computers in the hierarchy of switches down below it. But this is the point. It does. So, so now when a computer is transmitting, the, its, its data goes to the switch. The switch actually reads the MAC address that it's addressing its packet to and retransmits it only out of the one port that it knows has that MAC address. So it it does a huge job of of dealing with the pro- the potential problem of Ethernet congestion, which which really is the like the one Achilles heel of the Ethernet from a from a fundamental technology standpoint. We're we're going to be talking about a, a much worse problem with Ethernet, but that's but that's not about sort of the the, the fundamental data carrying ability. So. Um, so essentially that's what switches do is they chop a this one LAN into multiple electrical pieces and are they actually learn which MAC addresses are living down which of their ports and only send the data to the proper location. Now one one variation on that or or a, a further detail on that is what's known as the broadcast address. Most LAN adapters will only respond to their own MAC address or to the broadcast address. Now, if you've ever looked at the underside of your um, your router or uh, maybe on the uh, printer on the back of some computers, you'll you'll see the MAC address. It's it's always expressed as six pairs or six sets of hex paired digits for example 00 colon 02 colon 05 would be the starting of the mac address would be the manufacturer's serial number assigned to it and to to, to that manufacturer and then the next three sets which could be anything would be the serial number of the adapter from that manufacturer so you see it's like six pairs of hex digits separated by colons that's the mac address so the a an ethernet nick will respond to its own address or to the broadcast address which by universal agreement is all ones or in in that mac address addressing it's ff colon ff colon ff and so on six sets of ffs the the idea is that that's the way systems are able to find each other on the ethernet if 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 through some technology or or by reason of some technology it's necessary for one computer to locate another it's able to to do a broadcast on the ethernet and all machines that receive that will take a look at the data well the, that also means that a switch which is normally providing some isolation must rebroadcast out every one of its ports anything that it receives that is addressed to that broadcast address so 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 one one time that the switch looks like a hub is if it receives something a packet an ethernet packet addressed to the broadcast address it just sends it everywhere okay so let's talk now about how the internet's ip technology this uh, that we've been talking about the hierarchical addressing how does that work with the with, within an ethernet lan and and what problems does that create the the biggest problem with ethernet and it's certainly not the fault of its designers 33 years ago because again they did this as a, as an experiment at the Palo Alto Research Center uh, uh, run by Xerox just to sort of see if they could and this is the technology that is so often the case you know the one that worked we just kept using never really intending it for prime time 
there is no notion of authentication. There is, essentially, there is absolutely no security with Ethernet. It, the assumption always was that it would be used in a LAN setting where you knew and trusted everybody on the network. You were one big happy company, or you know, you were your little network at home, or or whatever. But the idea was that you know, in a LAN, you just it, it's local. It's inherently local. The problem is that as new applications for our technologies have occurred, this Ethernet LAN, which is fundamentally insecure, has been used without really giving this any thought in non-secure and sort of semi-public settings. For example, when you visit a hotel and you plug your, 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 your traveling laptop into the hotel's Ethernet connector, which hotels increasingly offer, you're on the hotel's LAN, and any trouble, any security problems that Ethernet has are now hotel-wide, and you are subjected to them. Similarly, in a hotspot, when you're using a wireless, you know, we've talked about Wi-Fi extensively. Well, Wi-Fi is running on top of Ethernet, meaning that it's vulnerable to the underlying insecurity of Ethernet when you're in any sort of a, 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 wife, uh, a Wi-Fi setting. Um, and of course, the, the, the same is true even in a corporate LAN. Somebody who wanted to do something malicious in a corporate LAN, which is certainly going to be connected by Ethernet today, they have a tremendous amount of latitude for being able to cause mischief by bringing a computer into the network and 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 just clicking it into to the company's network because Ethernet has no security. Now, what I mean is that um, there is no authentication, meaning that there's the adapters are addressed just based on this 48-bit MAC address. Okay, well, we know that everyone today is using IP addressing. We're on, on our own local networks, we might have, you know, 192.168.something.something dot dot something, um, or 10. Dot or, or whatever. Um, even out on the Internet itself, routers are interconnected very often using Ethernet links from one router to the next. That's just the way, you know, Ethernet has turned out to work so well and be so inexpensive when, when you integrate the circuits and all the technology that it, it's just it's sort of the universal glue for all of our computers. Well, okay, the, the way Ethernet works is that packets have to be Ethernet packets in order to travel across the Ethernet, which means that the IP data, the IP packets that are coming into a LAN have to be encapsulated. They're, they're basically wrapped in an Ethernet packet that contains the MAC address of the originating adapter and the destination adapter. Inside that is the IP data that, that, that shows the source IP and the destination IP, but the, the Ethernet LAN doesn't use that at all. It is all based on MAC addresses. So what has to happen is that there's this relationship, an association between MAC addresses and IP addresses. So that, for example, any computer on a LAN, a, a contemporary Ethernet LAN, will have its IP address that, that it's been assigned by a DHCP server or manually configured, and inherently it'll have a MAC address. So there's basically two addresses. There's the sort of the, 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 the more global hierarchical Internet IP and also this, what we talked about, this non-hierarchical, just sort of 48-bit fixed MAC address that is how data gets to it on the LAN. What this means is that the computers on the LAN, in order to send IP data to each other, which is really what they want to do, they need to have a table that says this IP 
is assigned to the computer with this MAC address. And this IP, and another IP, is assigned to such and such computer. So there, there's a, a basically an, an association table that maps the IPs to the MAC addresses. What happens when a packet comes in from the gateway, say that it's, it's coming in off the Internet, and it's addressed to a certain IP? The, the gateway, the router or whatever it is that is the way the LAN connects to, to any other networks, it'll look at this destination IP and look to see if it knows what this, um, which MAC address is associated with that IP. If it, if it does already know because it sent some data to it in the past, it simply wraps that IP packet in an Ethernet packet and sticks it on the LAN addressed to its destination, that machine will hear it and accept the packet, take the Ethernet wrapping off, and there's the IP packet that, that it has been sent. If, however, the gateway doesn't know the address of the, that it had, doesn't have the MAC address associated with that IP address, it needs to, it needs to ask the entire network who has this IP. Well, that's where this, this thing called address resolution protocol, ARP, com comes in. ARP protocol is, is the way MAC addresses and IP addresses are, are associated and essentially glued together in a LAN. The, the router sends what's called an ARP request, and it sends it to the LAN's broadcast address, that, that FFFFFF, basically all ones, that, that has been reserved for this purpose. So it basically says, hey, um, who out here on the LAN has this IP? Somewhere, and because it's broadcast, every machine on the LAN will receive that query, will hear it. The, the one machine that is assigned to that IP will respond to that. And since the broadcast was sent to like an, to everybody, but it was sent from a specific MAC address, that is from the router, the, the, the ARP reply is just sent right back to the router. It just said the, 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 the card who does have that IP sends back, hey, I've got your IP. So, so what happens is that's the way on a LAN the, the gateway is able to learn the, the IP address or addresses, because it's possible for one computer to have multiple IPs of of every machine on the LAN. Well, you know, it's a very cool and slick technology, but it's got one real problem, and that is there is absolutely no way to know if this ARP traffic is valid or if perhaps it's been spoofed. So imagine, to, just to, to reiterate how this works when it's working right, is that the, the, the gateway will send an ARP request, broadcast it to every machine asking who has this IP. Well, similarly, when any one of the machines on the network wants to send a packet outside of the LAN or even to another machine on the LAN, um, individual machines will also generate these ARP requests saying, who has this IP? The machine that does responds. The way these, the, the way the Ethernet works is when receiving an ARP reply, the, the receiving machine simply fills out this table entry in what's called the ARP table, not surprisingly, and, and, and puts the information in. It turns out that a malicious person anywhere on the LAN could send any other computer an ARP reply and the computer would believe it was real and and change the entry in its ARP table, hmm. basically updating the entry with this new information. So there's no attempt what, to validate the sender at all. Well, there's no way to validate. I mean, it's literally, there's there's just like no way. There's nothing you there's could just, ask. <laughs> there, yeah, exactly. There's no, this was never considered, right. never thought about back in the original design it's, of of the net. So, did they make the assumption that no one who has direct access to your land would be malicious or what? There was no assumption. They didn't I even mean, think this, about it. 
It wasn't, wasn't even it wasn't even on the radar. We see that a lot with security issues where where just nobody even thought about it because nobody had done it or there were no exploits to that point. Well, exactly, exactly. So, 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 so let me make this clear because this is really important. If a malicious person sent a computer on the net, an ARP reply saying, I am the IP of the gateway, that would replace that entry, the, the, the entry for the, for the LAN's gateway IP with the MAC address of the intruder. From that moment on, any traffic which, the, which that computer wanted to send out to the internet would be addressed to the MAC address of the intruder. So you've effectively so, stolen the connection. Yes. You have stolen the, the you, you have stolen the all the traffic that that is bound for the gateway. Now, Similarly, a, well, go ahead. I, I just thought okay, of a problem yeah. because if you're stealing it, <laughs> it's not going to get to the gateway. Well, exactly. So so part two is this same intruder then turns around and sends one ARP reply to the gateway, ah. pretending pretending to be the IP. Of the other computer that it's that it's intercepting, it, that will re, that will replace the table entry in the gateway. So anything from the gateway bound for that for that other computer's IP will instead be sent to, to the MAC address. That, that is to say, to the computer that wants to intercept this. To in order to to keep the connection alive, the the interceptor has to forward any traffic it receives. Onto the original right. MAC address, right. so it's basically it's spliced itself in, in in what we know is called a man in the middle attack. Makes sense. It's and, impersonating both ends, one to the other, yeah, and, and taking all the traffic. Well, and it is. I mean, get this. It's as simple as sending one packet to each of the computers you whose traffic you want to intercept. So I mean, I'm, I'm literally, that's all it takes. I'm guessing there are lots of automated tools that will do this. Yes. Um, for example, there there's a tool called Kane and Abel. Um, and in, it's now at Our version... Our friend. Two, <laughs> yeah, Kane and Abel. It's now at version um, 2.81. And if, if I read from, from their, their one of their boasting features, they say the latest version is faster and oh, oh, good! So you can intercept traffic even faster than before, and contains a lot of new features like APR. That's their own acronym, and they they say that stands for ARP Poison Routing, mm. and and they go on to say which enables sniffing on switched lands and man-in-the-middle attacks. The sniffer in this version can also analyze encrypted protocols oh such as SSH1 and HTTPS and contains filters to capture credentials from a wide range of authentication mechanisms. Wow. <laughs> and then a, a, oh, and I know. freely available on the net. Oh, yeah. Cain and Abel. Everybody fact, has we, I have a copy. Everybody has a copy of this. Okay, and I mean, actually, it's, it's sad to say it's a beautifully written piece of software. <laughs> and it's very useful um, for a lot of things. Yes, well, also on, on version 2.8, they talk about, you know, we, we've talked about a lot about uh, Windows Remote Desktop Protocol, you know, Terminal Services, RDP. They say um, in, in, in their features list for 2.8, RDP v4 session sniffer for APR. And it says, Kane can now perform man-in-the-middle attacks against the heavily encrypted Windows Remote Desktop Protocol, RDP. The one used to connect the terminal server service or, or uh, of a remote Windows computer. The entire session to and from the client and server is decrypted and saved to a text file. Cl Client-side keystrokes are also decoded to provide some kind of password interception. The attack can be completely invisible because of the use of... ARP poison routing and other protocol weaknesses. Now, this is a sidelight, and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I just want to point out, people will say, well, how could this program be legal? You know, how is there any legitimate reason why you would want to own it? You know, why don't they shut it down? Well, a lot of security experts use this program. Right. Well, for 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 testing. For, but and, well, and in fact, it does many things other than this. No, it does but web, web cracking, and I mean, it does all the bad stuff. But it does. It's a very useful program. 
And just because somebody has it doesn't mean that they're a bad guy. Right. Um, there, there, there's another free tool called uh, EaterCap. Um, and from quoting their homepage, EaterCap is a suite for man-in-the-middle attacks on LAN. It features sniffing of live connections, content filtering on the fly, <laughs> and many other interesting tricks. It supports active and passive dissection of many protocols, even ciphered ones, and includes many features for network and host analysis. And then they they have screenshots showing it doing all of this. Now you can't fault these guys. I mean, this is a well known hole. This art poisoning, and and uh, it's easy to do. And so, of course, somebody's going to write a tool for this. Well, and so this is the lesson: is that I mean, you know, we see over and over and over that which is possible will happen. Yeah. Now, so once again, I just want to just because I want to make sure people get this: anybody on a LAN, any malicious software can send two packets, one to each other computer, lying about the Mac, its MAC address to each of them and receive, basically receive all the traffic they intended to send to each other, it receives. If it then forwards it on, it's a, it, it has spliced itself into the connection and nobody will know. This can happen at a wireless hotspot I mean, it, one one bad person in a hotel could arrange to intercept, not without much work, to literally intercept all the traffic going to and from the hotel's gateway, so that all of the email co conversations, all of the traffic of any sort that is being transacted by every other hotel guest, they're able to monitor and intercept and in some cases where you have weekly authenticator protocols like windows remote desktop that really doesn't provide any kind of authentication man in the middle and complete decryption attacks are easily performed <laughs> i mean it is really bad <laughs> and trivial to do and if, and now, I, if i wanted to just check into a hotel and put all my system on the ethernet and just start running these programs it'd be uh, you know it's easy it'd take you minutes well now you don't even about have half Right. About half of the hotels out there are still using hubs. As we know, all the traffic a hub receives, it sends back out to everyone else. So if you're on a hub, all you have to do, I mean, you don't have to do anything active. There's no active attack you need. You just plug your computer in and start sniffing. Now, remember I mentioned that, that a NIC will respond to something addressed to its own MAC address or to the broadcast address. That's almost always true. However, NICs can also be put into something called promiscuous mode. Now, all that means is you just switch the, the adapter into promiscuous mode, and that says, just receive everything. <laughs> and so that's what these sniffers do. Any sniffing tool simply puts the, Mac, the, 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 the NIC into promiscuous mode, and everything on the wire comes in and gets logged and decoded and, and, and checked out. There, were, there was someone we quoted a few months ago when we were talking about this briefly that, that said that you know, she was a security expert out of curiosity. Oh, and she also traveled a lot. Out of curiosity, she plugged her laptop into hotels wherever she goes, turns on some of this, quote, security software, unquote, and in the typical evening she's able to receive several hundred email wow. logons and passwords wow. she knows what they're logging on to who they are and what their password is she's probably got I mean, mine. it's just it's <laughs> wide open that's why well, I and use so, vpn now because of you and learning this yes well if a, a, a vpn is the only is the only way to solve this problem because then because a good, a properly implemented VPN will completely defeat not only passive snipping, sniffing, but also any man-in-the-middle attack. Because the problem is, and, and we're going to be talking about this, I think, next week, where we're going to finally start talking about what is all of this um, uh, encryption. How does encryption work, and what is authentication, and signatures, and signature authority, or c certificate authorities, and and all that. You know, uh, certificates and signing, and all that. Mm -hmm. We're gonna we're gonna lay all that foundation. But anytime you don't have authentication, anytime it, that that somebody can come along and pretend to be. Uh, um, anyone else participating in the conversation, you've got trouble. 
and Windows Remote Desktop Protocol doesn't have strong authentication. They've got some obviously not very well working because there's free software that is able to just crack the conversation and log all your keystrokes. So, you know, Windows doesn't provide substantially and significantly strong authentication so that the entire dialogue can be monitored, unfortunately. But a VPN that is designed right does. There's no man-in-the-middle attack for VPNs for SSH or... Well, what's interesting is that users can be exploited in this. And we'll be talking about uh, security certificates and verifying security certificates mm. when we're talking about state-of-the-art encryption. Because what, what, what can happen is that a, once a connection is being filtered with a man in the middle, if you go, for example, to PayPal and you, go, you try to establish a secure connection, there is... There is no way for a man in the middle to truly spoof the PayPal certificate. But they can, th th that is, there is no way for them to, to not raise an alert on your browser. But many users will, in, will incorrectly respond to a fraudulent certificate not recognizing that it is such and give it permission to connect and then when that happens yes, they got you when, when that happens you're in deep trouble right as long as they can continue to simulate the paypal experience <laughs> i guess once you've entered the password and login they don't need to anymore they could say, well and, oh, and connection and, and <laughs> yeah thanks very Sorry. much see you later <laughs> Yeah, now, so it is really necessary not to give your browser permission to connect when you when right. you shouldn't do so. Right. Now I have a question for you, an ethical issue. Uh, we've talked about Kane and Abel and EaterCap. Should I put a link to Kane and Abel and EaterCap in the show notes or not? I have them all over my page, yeah. Leo. I yeah. think there is no reason not to. Anybody, all, I mean, can you use I Google? Have a, you I, can I, find I, it. <laughs> of course, you just put in ARP spoofing. <laughs> if you can't use Google, ARP, then forget it. You'll never be a hacker. <laughs> you put in ARP spoofing or ARP poisoning or ARP cache, right. and all right. of this stuff comes rolling out. I have a a really great page, which is our show notes page for this episode. I put it together actually in early December, and I've been waiting till now to really talk about it. It's uh, grc.com slash nat slash arp dot htm. So slash nat slash arp dot htm. Uh, we've got a link to it on our page. You, you should link to it too, Leo. I, I, ba like I Basically, I, I explain all this. I have some nice diagrams that show how this works. And because I, the reason I put these these links to these tools on the page is it's important for people to recognize you know we're not making this up you know i was reading just from the boasting that these tools offer and so i think it's important for people to recognize how very prevalent this issue is and and why connecting in a hotel or in a in a hot spot there is there's just no security due to the fact that ethernet was designed back in an era where it didn't even it wasn't even on the radar no one even thought about it right right and it works great but there are some issues and now you know what they are you know how to handle it because we've talked right. about VPNs in great detail yes and in fact i am i'm at work uh, on the the VPN notes i i don't know what I'm going to have him done. I'm doing a really thorough job, but I'm working with a, a neat German guy who's making some uh, changes to some Ethernet bridging, some free Ethernet bridging technology that's going to make the configuration of OpenVPN even easier. Oh, so right. we're doing a little software development here in the process. Very cool. Well, all of this information is, as Steve said, uh, in his show notes, and I'll have a link on our show notes at twit.tv to that and uh, everything you need to know. Uh, congratulations, by the way, Steve. We just got stats back from America Online, and we crossed kind of an important threshold, the 100,000 listener uh, Yep, threshold. I saw that. Yep, that's really Very exciting. Cool. Uh, uh, Security Now, 25 in three weeks had 100,000 listeners. Generally, the way it works is you, you, we get about 60,000, 65,000 in the first week, and it goes half and half again. So it takes us about three weeks to get 100,000. But what's interesting, uh, particularly about Security Now, is even the first episodes are still being downloaded in, in the thousands. Uh, every yeah. week so the number climbs and i imagine each of these episodes will be in the long run listen to several hundred thousand uh, people 
because they may you know they're valuable they're, they they form together as a whole a complete course in uh, internet security right grc.com slash securitynow.htm. That's the uh, place to go where Steve has everything you'd want to know. Links to these individual show notes, but also transcripts, thanks to Elaine. 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired and and uh, lots more, of course, security help. Uh, he's been doing this for years, helping people protect their systems with shields up and shoot the messenger and decombobulator and unplug and pray and so many other great utilities. And, of course, the king of all utilities, the, the ultimate disk maintenance and recovery tool i tell everybody to get it spin right all at grc.com uh, are we gonna have a birthday cake or something for a hundred thousand i think we have to do something to celebrate it's great i uh, it's just I'm it's so really happy. good yeah it's just yeah. it's just been fantastic uh, and i'm not surprised this is uh, something everybody wants to know and needs to know and i don't know sometimes it's a lot of work but that's why the transcripts uh, come in handy are well our, and and you know, I, I, not to break your flow here, but, you know, there will be people who will write and say, oh, my God, you know, so, yes, it's possible for our cash poisoning to happen and man-in-the-middle attacks, but how likely is it? And, again, you know, who knows? I just want people to understand what the, the reality of their connections are, what the reality of the security is, and let them decide what kind of measures they want to take. Well, I think it's so easy to do, and it's, you know, there are a lot of tourists who would do this just for fun, like the woman you quoted, um, but it's so easy to do. I think it's only prudent, especially when you're using a hotel or a Wi-Fi, a public Wi-Fi connection, it's just only prudent. I'm, I'm not plugging. I'm not plugging my laptop into a hotel without no, some protection. No. Nope. And I've started using Hotspot, Hotspot VPN all the time, and I just, yeah, you know, it just makes me feel better. Uh, and it, I think it's just the prudent thing to do, just yeah. the right thing to do. Uh, I want to thank the great folks at AOL Radio who always are, are so generous, and we really appreciate it now that we've uh, we've crashed others' servers. <laughs> we really know what we're getting from AOL Radio. They they broadcast us on their podcast channel, and of course. Uh, Provide us with the bandwidth so we can bring this to you. AOLmusic.com slash podcasting uh, for more information about that or to uh, subscribe to, I think, really the best Internet radio out there. Steve, we'll uh, come back next week. We'll talk about authentication. Very cool. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you then. Okay. For uh, Steve Gibson, I'm Leo Laporte. Thanks for joining us on Security Now. <laughs>